Praise the Lord. Well, I wonder how you'd answer the question I was just asked before about how you'd spend 24 hours. Go anywhere you'd like, be with anyone, see anything. Uh, you can pick the weather, that would be nice. What would you do? Perhaps you'd be like me, you'd want to go to a beach somewhere, sit on a sun lounger, a leisurely game of catch or football or cricket. Maybe you're a reader, you just like to sit quietly with no one disturbing you for 24 hours, read a book. And perhaps there's someone in particular who comes to mind who you'd like to see, maybe someone across the world. I wonder how you'd spend your 24 hours. And I wonder if that is your picture of heaven. I wonder if your picture of heaven is 24 hours where you get to do what you'd like. You set the agenda, be where you want, with who you want, 24 hours. Except in heaven, it goes on forever. Is that your idea of heaven, I wonder? I wonder what you pray for most. If you're anything like me, you probably pray a lot for things that you feel are broken to be fixed. Sometimes that's very literal. You've got a fridge freezer that's broken. Please, God, fix it. We were uh, uh, laying hands on a, a dishwasher in our church recently. We had a big church lunch, and it conked out. We were praying for a big fix. Maybe it's for a fix of the body. You've got an ailment, a pain, or perhaps a worry about a diagnosis that's coming, and you would pray a lot about that sort of thing, or the same prayer but for others. I wonder what sort of headlines your prayer life. Often it is that idea of something feels broken and I need it fixed. Something's wrong and it needs to be put right. Perhaps that would mark your prayer life. Well, I hope this morning as we come to Psalm 67 is it works as a bit of a tune-up for some of us. It's a bit like an MOT for our hearts. Sometimes when you take the car for the MOT, you don't expect anything to come back wrong. And sometimes you get away with it, and it seems fine. Sometimes there's a little thing, 50 quid, 100 quid, that seems all right. You've sort of sailed through okay, haven't you? Sometimes there's something massive. Psalm 67, I hope, is going to work something like that for each of us. We're going to be exposed, and perhaps there'll be something that we need to tweak, something we need to change, some aspect of our lives or faith or relationship with God that needs to, have, uh, to be impacted by Psalm 67. It could be a minor tweak. It could be a major overhaul. The psalm challenges what we hold dear, and particularly it challenges why. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to open it up at Psalm 67, uh, that would be great. I'm going to read it for us. And then I'd like to point us to a bit of a diagram that is going to lead us through this morning. So Psalm 67 says this, For the director of music, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make His face shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the people with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that 
all the ends of the earth will fear him. Well, I told you I'd like to introduce you to a triangle which has helped me understand this psalm. Uh, hopefully, it's going to come up behind me. And the first bit, the top of the triangle, is our blessing. We are blessed. We see that in the psalm. Uh, for, the, for the guys who would have sung this, it was a psalm for the whole of Israel to sing. It's a we and us psalm. And they say in verse 1, don't they, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine on us. And it finishes in a similar way. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. He gives us things. He gives us blessing. And there's a twofold blessing, really. The first thing is the blessing of the everyday. That is, things in our lives that we have, that everyone gets to enjoy, I suppose. And then there is the blessing of salvation. Now, for Israel, these two things were completely combined, really. The everyday blessings were a reminder, or were, in fact, their salvation. We find this very hard to, to get into our minds, I think, because we don't function in the same kind of society. So, for Israel, imagine the harvest coming in. It's the food for the whole year. Now, if God doesn't deliver what to us might seem like a very everyday thing, dinner on the table... If that doesn't come through, what's going to happen to the nation? The poor at least will starve. Perhaps even the whole nation will struggle and suffer. They will become weak. Many will die. They'll become weak to the nations around them who may conquer. The harvest was a yearly reminder of salvation for Israel. It's all tied together as one. As it came in and they saw how God had blessed them, they would be reminded that He is a saving God. And the words used here actually take us right back to the Garden of Eden at the start of the Bible. The earth produces in abundance. God's people are there and His face shines upon them. That's about God being with His people. God walking through the garden with Adam and Eve. God being with Israel at the center of life in this wonderful land that is producing. They are blessed, just as Adam and Eve were in Eden. All is right. The curse has been removed, if you like. They have been saved back to a paradise. Blessing, the presence of God, the harvest has come in. The closest you can imagine is if, if you're um, someone who works, imagine that you only get paid annually. Now, that would be a worrying, you'd be checking the bank account on the day it came in, wouldn't you? You'd want to make sure that your annual pay is coming in. And if it was even an hour late, you'd be desperately worried. You'd be phoning HR or whoever it was. Well, that's our version of it. If the harvest doesn't come in, what are they going to do for the year? It's a reminder of their salvation. They are being blessed by God. They're being blessed by God. The curse is being lifted. It's like they're back in the Garden of Eden. God blesses. Now, for us, the two things of the daily blessing and the blessing of salvation are not quite as tied together, but they still both exist, and they are still both to be praised like they are in this psalm. Now, how often when you sit with a plate of food, you might just think about all of the ways that God has blessed that food to get to you. We have a great storybook at home 
Uh, it's called Eric Says Thanks. And it's basically about a little boy who's given some delicious toast in the morning. And he goes to his mom and he says, oh, mom, thanks. This was the best bit of toast ever. Thank you so much. She says, oh, well, all I did was put it in the toaster. The guy you should really be thanking is the baker down the road. So he says, all right, off I go. And he runs down the road to the baker and he says, hey, my mom says I should thank you for the amazing bread that you made. And the baker says, well, thank you very much. But actually, you should thank the delivery man because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have had the, the flour, the grain to, in order to, to make this delicious bread. And he says, okay then. So he runs around the village and he finds Dan, the delivery man. He says, thank you so much for getting in your van every morning, bringing it to the baker. And he says, oh, well, don't thank me. You need to go to the, the miller who grinds the grain to make flour that I deliver. And so Eric, off he goes. He goes to the miller. Thank you so much for making this beautiful flour in your mill. She says, oh, well, that's, that's very kind of you. But really who you should thank is the farmer. Off Eric goes again to find the farmer. And he finds him in the field, tinkering with his tractor. And he says, thank you so much. You've grown this amazing grain that has ended up in my belly. The farmer says, well, that's very nice of you. But there's one more place you need to go to thank you need to thank your Father in heaven who has blessed the rain and the sunshine to grow the grain, which has then been taken through this whole process to end up on your plate. That's one slice of bread that you can spend a whole story thanking God for. Imagine if you did that for every item of clothing that you own, for every chair that you sat on, for every comfortable pillow that you've laid your head on. For every person that you've met who's brought you joy in some way, for every joke that you've ever heard, for every laugh that you've got to enjoy, imagine taking it on that journey of how God has blessed it to you every day. There is a generous, kind, heavenly Father who stands behind every plate of food, every person who's blessed you, every item of clothing, everything you've watched on TV that you've enjoyed. There is a Father standing behind that saying, this is my blessing to you. We ought to be thankful for those everyday blessings. But even more so, we are thankful for the salvation. And I'm so glad that Ephesians 1 has been read uh, during the service. Isn't that wonderful how God has done that unplanned? Because that's the passage that has been in my mind. When you think of blessing from God upon the Christian, that's where I often think. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He has predestined us to be part of His people. He has adopted us. Though we were far off, He's brought us close. He knows us intimately, and He loves us. He lavishes grace upon us. He loves that we are His children. You could go on and on. The blessing that we receive in Christ Jesus through what He has done, His body broken, His blood shed, that we might be blessed as the people of God. You could delve into any of those blessings, but I was uh, recently, I was preaching at a wedding, and I was telling the story to the bride and the groom of, uh, there's a movie called Meet Joe Black, and in the story, Joe Black is, is death personified. He's death come to earth, and he's learning about the human way of life. And there's a moment in the movie where he says to one of the characters, what, you know, what is love? Like, how do, you, how do you define what love is? And he's saying this to a man who's been married for many years, and he says, well, do you know what? For me, it's that my wife, she knows everything about me, but it's okay. And that is even truer of God to the Christian. He knows every single thing about you. That should be a scary thought 
but it's okay. He still loves us. He forgives us. He blesses us despite who we are, not because of who we are. He has blessed us in the salvation of Jesus. So there is blessing. We are blessed. And the first call of this psalm is to recognize that. Israel got together to say, yes, God is blessing us again. And we should do the same thing. We should say, yes, we are blessed. And if you're a Christian, hopefully that isn't too difficult for you to say yes and amen. Praise the Lord. I am blessed. But then we get to the bits, perhaps, that are harder or that we forget about. Um, And that is, why should Israel want to be blessed? Why should we want to receive the blessing of God? And that's where this psalm starts to be the exposing sort of MOT on the heart. Let me read a couple of verses again for us. Uh, Verse 2. So that, so why should we be blessed? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And then verse 7 is the same idea. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear Him. This is the second part of our triangle. We want to be blessed so that all the nations will worship God. It is not a blessing that we want to just enjoy for ourselves to cling to, but it is one that is to be shared across the whole world, across history to all people. And lastly of the triangle, this psalm shows us a desire for all the nations then to praise God, to praise God. That is the end of all the blessing. It is for God to be praised. If I am being blessed, I ought to praise God. If wonderfully others are being blessed, they ought to praise God. And what is at the end of all? It is God being glorified and praised. You know the amazing thing about that Ephesians 1 passage that I always seem to miss is that it is blessing after blessing after blessing, but interspersed three times, it says, to the praise of His glorious grace. It is wonderful blessing. Why? So that God may be glorified, so that God may be praised. That is the point of blessing. That is the goal. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May God get the glory, even if I'm getting the blessing. Now, there are three sides to the triangle, but first of all, we need to reorientate it because, you see, the bit we love and the bit we often start with is where I've got at the top now. We are blessed. That's the wonderful part that we think about the most, perhaps. But what's the most important part? Well, let's spin it round. God is praised. That is where it points to. I've just been away on a kid's summer camp this week, and the theme was a cruise ship. I'm actually really grateful I've still got my voice because I've been shouting a lot and singing a lot this week, so, but it's still there. And the theme was cruise ship. And one of the things we were saying um, to the kids but to the leaders as well was, you know, where is everything headed? God's the captain of the boat. Where is it all headed? It's all headed to His glory. And anything else needs to be thrown overboard. Anything that's involved in our own glory or someone else's glory, it's got to get chucked off the boat. 
It's all headed to God's glory. That is why that is at the top. We need to reorientate ourselves. And then let's look down the three sides of our triangle together. So the first one, if you click on, is this. We are blessed so that God is praised, which means we need to love God, not His stuff. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I, the best present I've ever bought someone, the best present I've ever bought someone was, um, he's now three and a half, our oldest boy. I bought him a ukulele for Christmas. And that ukulele has been played and played and played, I tell you. I mean, sometimes I regret giving him the, the guitar. But uh, it's, it's been wonderful. It's so satisfying to see him enjoy the gift so much. But wouldn't it be terrible if he only ever played with the ukulele and never spoke to me? Or if he somehow said, yeah, this, the ukulele is what it's all about. That's, where, you know, that's the thing that's bringing me all the joy. And he just focused in on the gift, and he forgot completely about myself and Fiona, my wife, who gave him it. And yet, that is so often what we can do with God. We read those passages about all of the blessings that we receive. We, we experience His day-to-day blessing, and we focus in on them. But the point of those blessings is to go through them to the one who is giving. What sits behind the blessings is a wonderful God who is beautiful, who is to be worshipped, who loves, who forgives, who is just, who is awesome and powerful, who is in control, who speaks to us in our needs, in the good, in the bad. And we need to love Him and not just the blessings that He gives. That's the story that the Bible tells us regularly. One of the best places I find for it is the story of the two sons. There's a father who has two sons. And the younger son grows up enjoying all of the gifts that the father has. And one day he says to him, do you know what? I just want all of the money. I want my inheritance now. And he takes everything that he's owed from his father and he leaves. Do you see what he's done? He says, I want you for what you can give me. I don't actually want you. And that is a trap that we can fall into. I kind of want God because of what He gives me. I don't just want God. I don't want the one who stands behind the blessing. And if we fall into that trap, we have missed the point of Psalm 67. We are blessed so that we may praise God, to know Him better, to love Him. Wonderfully, in that story, the younger son realizes, doesn't he? And he actually realizes, you know what? I'd be better off if I just went back to be with him. Even if I get nothing from him, at least I'll be with him. The glorious, kind father who looked after me all those years and I never even realized. That is the kind of relationship we ought to have with God. Yes, we enjoy the blessings. We enjoy the gift. But we see through them to the one who gives. There's one side of the triangle. And I wonder if our prayers will reflect that particularly. You know, if we're forever asking God just for stuff, and we never just come to Him to be with Him, or come to Him to praise Him, come to Him to bask in how wonderful He is, let's say something about how we treat Him and how we treat the gifts that He gives us.
found that challenging as I've read this psalm. How will we pray if we know that it's not just about the stuff God gives us, the blessings he gives us. It's about him and his wonderful character. That's the first side of the triangle. Uh, let's put up the next bit. And that is that we are blessed so that the nations will worship. We are blessed so that we will share it with other people. The relationship here is what you might have heard the term, you know, evangelism. We go and speak of Jesus. We've been blessed so we can go and tell the nations. We can tell all people who don't know God all about his wonderful deeds, about his wonderful character. But the motivation here is, again, it's about love for God, not duty. I don't know how you feel when you're told you need to tell people about Jesus. Well, I often feel like, uh, yes, I know I should because God's done so much for me. I feel a bit of guilty. When I was growing up, I had three brothers, and my parents could definitely make me do something out of guilt. You know, if I'd taken a toy away from my brother or I'd punched one of them or, you know, something like that. Somewhere in between those two things, perhaps. For the next hour, my parents could probably control my behavior through, through guilt. I knew I shouldn't have done that, and therefore, for an hour or so, I'm going to do as I'm told. But it doesn't last very long. Guilt is not a very good motivator. You need a heart change. Perhaps more likely, you feel like a salesperson when you're going out to speak about Jesus. I'm sort of being paid to do this. <laughs> God has given me so much that I, part of my job, I guess, now is I need to tell other people about it, and so I need to give a pitch every now and then. Maybe that's how you feel about it. Well, let me tell you this. The heart of sharing Jesus is loving God, loving Jesus, not duty, not feeling guilty. That is how we do it. And so if you're finding it difficult, which we all do, the place to go is back to God, who He is, and what He's done for us. That is why and how we will share with the nations what He's done. And we share it in what we say, but we also share it in what we do. You'll know this, perhaps the parable of the, uh, the servant who goes to a, a lord and he's, he owes him lots of money. And he begs him, begs him for forgiveness. He says, please, will you wipe away my debt? I'll be so grateful to you. And the Lord still has mercy on him and he says, yeah, okay, go freely. I've canceled your debt. Later that very day, the man who has been uh, canceled the debt, had the debt canceled, goes to someone who owes him money. And that person gets down on his knees in front of him and says, please, please, will you just cancel the debt? And he takes him by the scruff of the neck. No, pay up, pay up. And the Lord witnesses this. What are you doing? What are you doing? You've just been forgiven so much, and yet you cannot offer that forgiveness to someone else. See, we need to understand more of who God is and what He's done for us so that we will go and do likewise as we share it with the nations in our speech, in our actions, um, in everything. Let me challenge you with this. If you ask someone for the latest news and they take an old book out and they, they dust, they sort of blow away the dust, right in your face, and you cough it up. You're not going to be particularly interested in what this old book has to say about the, the, the most recent news, are you? 
Or if you ask someone for a, a, a movie and they bring along a VCR. Some of you remember what a VCR is, I remember those. Like, well, this isn't exactly what I was hoping for. The, the quality definition is not going to be what I was hoping for here. Well, as we go out to the nations, we need to have up-to-date, if you like, recent testimony of God's grace to us in our lives. It's no good being able, it's great being able to say, 30 years ago this happened and God did this for me. But it, you're going to capture people much more if you're able to say, do you know what, this week, God's been so good to me. Let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about how God sustained me through this in the last month. Let me tell you how this morning I was able to get out of bed because of what God said to me. Have something tangible, recent to share with those around you. An up-to-date testimony, if you will. Well, there's the second side of the triangle. You can tell we're nearly there. I was asked to speak quickly because uh, the football is going to be on after this, so I'm trying my best. Here's the third side of the triangle. You see, the nations hopefully worship so that God is praised, and that should bring us great joy. We should love what God loves. When we hear of people praising the Lord, we should have great joy. We should desire it more. And it's easy to, of course, of course, not along, but it's easy to get this skewed. The great example of this in the Bible of getting this wrong is Jonah. Jonah knows exactly what God is like. Jonah knows that God is loving, God is forgiving, and that's the very reason he doesn't want to go and share the good news with other people. He doesn't want the Ninevites who he's sent to go to, to be rescued. He doesn't want them to receive God's love. He hates them. That's what comes out by the end of the book of Jonah. He says, I knew you would forgive them. That's why I didn't want to go and tell them about your forgiveness. I wonder if we have prejudice like Jonah. Maybe there's a particular person who you just don't want to speak to about anything, never mind Jesus. Maybe it's wider than that. Maybe there's a sort of a whole area of the world or area in Newcastle or a little block in your um, neighborhood. And maybe you don't think, I, I don't want them to be saved, but maybe you just think, I'm just not going to go there, though. I'm not going to go there. We're called by this psalm to want God and His name to be praised everywhere and by everyone. So question yourself. Is there a place you won't go? Is there a person you don't want to speak to? A conversation you don't want to have? God calls us to go to all people everywhere so that they too will praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. I asked you at the start what your idea of heaven would be. And I hope you see from this psalm that the, the idea of heaven is not my favorite 24 hours. You know, in the, if heaven is a movie, I am an extra in the background. Fleeting appearance on screen. God and His glory is at the center of it. That is what we ought to think of, and we need to retrain ourselves to think of when we think of heaven. And around God is people from everywhere giving praise to His glory. That's what we ought to 
dream of when we dream of heaven. And it will be wonderful. It will be glorious. All the tears will be wiped away, but at the center will be God and His glory. And how will you pray as we await that day? When we pray for blessing, which we can do and we should do, they should be accompanied by what this psalm says. May God bless us still so that. There should always be a so that. So that all the ends of the earth will fear Him. So that all the nations will praise Him. So that God will be glorified. You know, my blessing is not just about me. My blessing is about the name of God going out to others. And then we go. We go. We go to all people of all nations, on all streets, of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all religions. We go. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing. Well, Heavenly Father, you are a loving Heavenly Father. You provide us with the clothes on our back, the food on our plates, the families around us, the people around us who bring us joy, our jobs, our money, everything. And even more so, for those of us in Jesus, you have blessed us with all the spiritual blessings. We give you praise, but Lord, it's not about us. Those blessings are so that your glory will go out, so that others will hear of your wonderful love. Help us reorientate our, our hearts expose where we have that wrong thinking, where we, we desire your blessings without desiring you. Change our hearts. Would we love you? And would the blessings only be a bonus to knowing you? Father, help us to go out with that great news. Help us to long like this psalmist that all the peoples would praise your name. Would we look forward to heaven as a place where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are giving you glory? We, would we bring some aspect of that now into our lives, in the way that we speak, in how we treat people, and in the things that we love? Reorientate our hearts, I pray, to be about your glory. And we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.